0: Hi, this is Mark Iskowitz, editor-at-large for MMNM, and welcome to the MMNM podcast. This week, we're going entrepreneurial with special guest Cyrus Masumi, founder of Dr. B, the nationwide COVID-19 standby list, and several other startups. Finding an appointment in the New York metro area for the Moderna and Pfizer COVID vaccines has been getting easier in recent days, but the vaccine booking process has been likened to Soviet breadlines or to the DMV. Needless to say, two unflattering comparisons. And to get a vaccine without an appointment from a vaccine hub that sometimes has extra doses has often been a matter of being in the right place at the right time. Enter Dr. B. The site works by connecting vaccine providers that might have extra doses with any nearby takers. Anyone can sign up by going on the site, HiDrB.com, and entering their contact information, location, and eligibility information. Dr. B gets the facilities to sign up. Basically, the facility notes how many extra doses they have at the end of the day and the time they need to use them by, and the site uses an algorithm to sift through its list of people near that facility and alert them via text that a shot is available. And within a short time, those slots are typically filled up and people show up at the facility, which helps the facility account for unused doses and obviously gets more shots in arms. Here with us to talk about the site is Cyrus Masumi. Hey, Cyrus, how are you doing? Great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you here. Before we get to the interview with Cyrus, just a few housekeeping items, as we usually do on this podcast. The brand has a number of initiatives, but just a couple that are most near term. Coming up next Wednesday, 421, is the first deadline for the M&M Awards. As the submission deadline approaches, don't be afraid to reach out and let us know if you have any questions on your entries. Uh, To that end, we taped our annual Awards Uncovered webcast earlier this year. If you missed that, check out the on-demand replay for tips and how-tos for crafting award-winning entries from two veteran jurors at mmm-awards.com. And coming up May 4th through the 6th, our spring conference, MMM Transform, will be gathering under the theme of Navigating the Next. It's free to register online at mm mmm-transform.com, where you can also check out the full agenda. And we have some great keynotes already announced. Uh, earlier this month, we taped a pre-conference webcast with one of them, uh, GSK's Allison Wu, who's one of the real experts in pharma's nascent use of social media. She gave a terrific talk and sneak peek of what she'll be discussing on May 4th, so you can access the replay online. As always, you can find out more about all these events and more at the all-new mmm-online.com. Okay, back to the interview with Cyrus, founder of Dr. B. I just thought we'd start by talking a little bit about your background. I know you live in New York City. Uh, You're on the board of Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. And you're also the CEO of ZocDoc, which you founded in 2007 and you come from a family of doctors and uh, your mom wanted you to become a doctor too right
1: yeah so just one point of clarification so i am the founder of zocdoc and i ran the company for eight years but i'm not currently the ceo but you're exactly right i come from a family of, of doctors my grandfather was a doctor he's who actually dr b's named after he became a doctor during the spanish flu and he dedicated his life to bridging gaps between patients and providers and um my sister's a doctor, my cousin's a doctor, like everyone, and my, my mom ran my dad's medical practice. Uh, and so I was just never one for organic chemistry, unfortunately. So I had a different path. But, you know, I very much believe in the idea that you don't need to be a doctor. Uh, I've been trying to convince my mother of this, but you don't need to be a doctor to be helpful to people. And I can help people help people through building companies. And so, One of the first examples of that, of course, was ZocDoc, which helps patients get access to healthcare and helps doctors fill their open slots. I have another platform called Shadow that is trying to end loss in the world, and we help people who've lost or found a pet reunite uh, using the help of volunteers who love pets. And Dr. B is just another example of that, which is that we're helping, helping people who, for themselves or their loved ones, they want to get the vaccine and helping vaccine providers who are doing everything they can to make sure that every dose is maximized and that, uh, uh, you know, we we use what is the scarcest resource on earth earth at this point in the most efficient and equitable way. And uh, we help them facilitate that.
0: ZocDoc is often cited by people in our industry as a great example of the growing consumerization of healthcare. Um, As you said, it allows users to browse Providers who take their insurance, read reviews from other users, and book an appointment online. Where do you see healthcare overall on the continuum of becoming more consumer friendly, and and has the COVID experience facilitated that evolution?
1: You know, I think the the term consumer friendly there's a is a bunch of uh, ways that one can look at that, but it, I think in in healthcare it just means basically simplicity. So the simpler that something is, I think that the more consumer friendly that it is. I think. Uh, ZocDoc, of course, has done a great job of simplifying the actual act of booking an appointment for people who have insurance, but there's so many other problems that have yet to be simplified. For example, what happens to the people who don't have insurance? How do they navigate the system? What happens with your billing, even if you have insurance? Um, And there's startups that are going after each piece of this, but I think as a whole, there's still a lot to be desired for this consumerization of healthcare and I think we will, I'm optimistic, uh, one of the other hats I, I wear is we invest in health tech startups through a VC fund uh, I co-founded called Humbition and uh, I, I very much believe that technology will help us get there but there's a lot of, lot of stuff that needs to happen and a lot of simplification that needs to happen in order for, for consumers to really feel like healthcare is, is approachable to them.
0: Talk about how you got the idea to start Dr. V and how that came about?
1: Sure. So I've um, been on the board of the Columbia Mailman School of Public Health, as you mentioned, for about five years. And uh, about a little over a year ago, uh, our board launched an effort to support Dr. Ian Lipkin, who runs the Center for Infection and Immunity at Columbia. He's known globally as the virus hunter. Uh, I think him and his team over the past few decades have identified or categorized uh, nearly 500 viruses globally. And so, uh, he and I were chatting at the beginning of January about the vaccine distribution and how it was not, uh, we've come this far, you know, we've, we've gone through a year of isolation and developed these vaccines and the ultimate last mile just left a lot to be desired. And the problems that were being reported out there were spawning from the fact that 20 to 30% of patients who are booking vaccine appointments, are no showing or canceling on these appointments and that's resulting in this last minute scramble that's happening in almost every vaccination site in the country what was happening as a result of that is patients who happen to be at the right place at the right time so someone who was buying potato chips at the pharmacy would get the vaccine or perhaps uh, someone who is physically or financially able to wait in line all day long which ov- obviously doesn't seem fair and equitable but they would get the vaccine or maybe someone knew a vaccine provider and in the, the last minute scramble, the vaccine provider would just start uh, going through their phone and, and and contacting people they knew to make sure that vaccines don't go to waste. That also doesn't seem equitable and fair. And worst case scenario, the vaccine goes to waste. And so none of those things were optimal outcomes. And this no-show and cancellation problem is not anything new to healthcare, right? For nearly a decade of running ZocDoc, we would just hear it as as in healthcare in the broadest sense, it's one of the biggest areas of waste. Uh, There are studies from the University of Pennsylvania and and, uh, Columbia University faculty that talk about how in primary care, systemically, you see about a 20 to 30% no show or last minute cancellation. And most of those appointments are then not getting filled. And that is a huge, costly thing for any physician for any health system. So the fact that we were seeing this immediately within the vaccine world, I think we were able to connect the dots pretty quickly and realize that there needed to be a solution. We thought that the the easiest way to have a solution is to have a universal standby list that takes the, the manual burden out of filling the open slots as they become available. And we realized that due to the nature of the vaccine priorities, each state, sometimes each county or each city, different Indian tribes, etc., have different types of 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 how they want to prioritize patients, and so the difficulty, of course, is building a system that can prioritize people based on any of those criteria, depending on where the vaccine site was, and so we started building Doctor B uh, middle of January. And we we released the patient-facing side at the end of January and started vaccinating with our first pilot in Little Rock, Arkansas at the end of February.
0: That's, that's uh, very fast indeed. And obviously, you know, your your experience of having founded Zocdoc gave you a familiarity with that issue, you know, of of no-shows and you know the issue of wastage uh, in in healthcare. But um, how did the um, experience with Zocdoc provide you with a platform that you could then leverage into this new site, or, or did it? You didn't have to start from the ground up. I imagine you kind of had you felt like you had a head start.
1: Well, from a technical standpoint, we did start from the ground up. Uh, we built uh, everything from scratch. We we looked around for systems that could help us. Maybe we could we thought we could repurpose uh, an airline standby system. They've been doing this for for decades. But uh, the unique nature of these different priority criteria that change based on your geography necessitated us to build a system from scratch. What it did help is obviously knowing great people. Some of our earliest engineers come from the health tech world. Uh, they were at Haven, before that at, at ZocDoc in one case. And, and so we obviously knew uh, the people to help connect the dots. Uh, the Mailman School of Public Health was incredibly helpful as well. Uh, numerous of the, of the, the faculty there. Helped us uh, from getting our first pilot site in Little Rock, Arkansas, to getting other providers on board, to just advising us on how the system should be designed. We had faculty across the board that were were, uh, were nice enough to give us their input, and you know I think that one of the most important things here is, quite frankly, uh, making sure that we're doing all the right things by the patient. And we have decades of experience between myself and my team on doing that. That I think helped us make the right, right decisions at the get-go that is, are now saving us time. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of entrepreneurs, as you know, trying to tackle different challenges in healthcare that don't necessarily come themselves from healthcare. And suffice it to say, you're not one of those people. You have a lot of experience and that obviously serves you well here. So let's just give people a little bit of a primer on how it works. Um, so, so the Pfizer and Moderna shots have to be stored at ultra cold temperatures and thawed out shortly before use. At the end of the day, those administering the vaccine may still have open vials because of no-shows, which they need to put into people's arms or throw in the trash. And per state guidelines, vaccine sites are supposed to maintain standby lists with names and contact info for people who are eligible and able to show up on short notice if doses become available. However, getting on the standby list to receive a leftover dose is the confusing or mysterious part. It's hard to know what the protocol is for distributing the extra doses at any given site, I, th- I believe, like you said, if one shows up at a vaccination site, they can ask to be added to the standby list, but other sites are stricter about their extra doses. But suffice it to say, using standby lists is complicated, so a site like Dr. B becomes more useful for the average consumer.
1: Uh, I- absolutely. And I would take it a step further to say that queuing-based systems, which effectively a standby list is is a type of a queuing-based system, have broader applicability in the whole vaccine rollout, because if you look at other pandemic uh, responses that that public health officials have managed globally, um, typically you 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 win and you beat the viruses by bringing the vaccine to the people. You don't expect them to come to a stadium or a convention center. You you bring the vaccine to them. And one of the things that we're now powering with our vaccine provider partners is to the extent they want to facilitate mobile vaccination sites. Within minutes, they can say, I I want to send 300 doses in this neighborhood, and I want the highest priority people who need it most go. And literally, in under 30 minutes, you would have people there ready to get vaccinated. And so I think that queuing-based systems in general were a missing piece in in the vaccine rollout, and we're helping fill that need nationwide. Can you just define what you mean by when you say a queuing-based model? Sure. Um, Rather than having people go to a site and selecting a specific time, which I would consider pull, like the actual consumer is coming in and they're trying to like, like pull the actual time. And then they, most of them will show up. A lot of them won't. And, and that's what we deal with. Rather you go through, you have people pre-register and you push to them notifications about a vaccine that's available to them. People can choose to accept it or not. And if they not accept it, they'll get back in the queue and they'll get notified again. And you keep doing that until everyone's vaccinated. That That is just much more, there, there is no, there's no there's no real bias in terms of how fast you can hit refresh in that scenario. It's just a question of whether or not you signed up. And then as soon as you sign up, you're appropriately prioritized, which you know I think is, uh, if I was to give you the airline analogy, Southwest has long been considered one of the most efficient airlines and the way they board it, they don't give you a seat number. You go in and you stand in line and then people just go in and fill up the plane and it works. It's faster. It's more efficient. It seems, you know, on the surface, it seems perhaps more chaotic because everyone doesn't have a seat, but yet the boarding process works faster. And I think that that is true of of anything, even things that are more complicated like healthcare. And, And so I think that is, you know effectively what we've done for vaccine
0: okay okay and you have 17 employees right and and uh, you're funding this venture yourself from what i understand right
1: so we we had 17 team members um, we actually now have 56 no oh. so we've been growing very very quickly yeah wow great okay and obviously you know you're somebody who's familiar with uh, the private
0: markets but you chose not to, to go in that direction here. You chose to just kind of fund the
1: venture out of your own pocket. You know, ultimately, I do believe that there's a lot of problems that Dr. B can solve. Our our purpose as an organization is to focus on the efficiency and equity of healthcare. And, uh, you know, I think that right now we're laser focused on just helping everyone in the U.S. get vaccinated, but there are other problems that we want to tackle. And the problem that we have been solving with vaccines is indicative of a broader problem in U.S. healthcare. It's complicated, and it's not in all cases equitable. Mm-hmm. And I think those are two things that we think we can solve.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the
1: equity point
0: in a second. I do want to get to that. Um, h- how many consumer signups do you have so far, and, and how successful have you been at getting people shots?
1: Uh, it's been over 2.4 million, and. Uh, the number of shots is literally growing exponentially every day. To put it in context, just to look at the number of vaccine providers who are using it. The end of February, we had one vaccine provider. And then maybe two weeks ago, we had 48 vaccine providers. Now it's something like 212 as of yesterday. Uh, So we estimate that's about 1% of the vaccine providers in the country. And we hope that that will also grow exponentially over the next six weeks or so so we're trying to get you know it's free for every patient it's free for every vaccine provider and we're really just trying to provide this service initially to everyone in this country who needs it but hopefully eventually to everyone in the globe who needs it because we're all not going to be safe until this virus stops mutating at the rate that it's mutating at and everyone's vaccinated and the world is not scheduled to be vaccinated until 2023 So this is, at least for the next few years, going to be part of our reality, and we need to do our part, not just for ourselves and our families, but for mankind, because this is really our generation's world war.
0: Yeah, well said. And uh, you mentioned you have 212 uh, facilities uh, signed up, which is 1% of all in in this country uh, signed up with Dr. B. What's the kind of value proposition? How how do you frame that for the vaccine administrators in terms of how you make their life easier?
1: So... I think if there is an efficiency piece, which uh, and there's an equity piece, so the efficiency piece is really if you've got doses at the end of the night and you've got a quota that you want to hit in terms of number of people in the community that you want to vaccinate, what's happening now is people are spending hours texting and calling people for things that we can do in seconds. And so rather than spending the time making phone calls and text messages, people can spend the time vaccinating. And we'll just get through this whole process faster. And so, this is just something that's very well suited for technology. The other element, which I mentioned earlier, is just different use cases for how you want to facilitate uh, vaccines. A queuing-based model enables you to be flexible and to say, "I want to vaccinate in this community." Uh, let me go off and, and and start doing that. And within minutes, you've got a new vaccination site that, that that's that's ready to go. You don't have to worry about scheduling people a week in advance. And so that's. A second reason, a third thing, really, uh, you know, the, the way in which the queuing-based model works in Dr. B, even after local governments open up for everyone to get vaccinated, so 16 and up, for example, we still prioritize based on the original local government priority criteria, and we do that because it's important for all of us that the most vulnerable people get vaccinated first. There are still healthcare workers who have not been vaccinated. Maybe they're vaccine-hesitant maybe they were not uh, part of a large health system, and they literally many of those people got left behind. And they can't hit refresh a 1000 times a second to find the open appointment slot. So letting those people go to the front of the queue or people who are elderly who similarly are less comfortable with the technologies and don't have that same advantage as someone who grew up playing video games might, I think that that making sure that all those folks are given a priority as if they had a first class ticket, that is uh the way in which the system works and so in perpetuity we will always prioritize based on local government priority criteria even after the entire world is opened up now that even has broader context as it relates to racial inequities uh as many people are likely aware covid has had a disproportional impact on the black brown hispanic and native populations where the death rates have literally been close to three times higher than the national average and many of those same communities have a high uh, percentage of vaccine hesitancy, higher than the average hesitancy in America. And that's starting to change. People are starting to be open who previously did not want to get the vaccine. They're seeing their family and their friends get vaccinated and people are okay. And so now as they they want to come in and and now get vaccinated, they can come in late to the game and still have that first class ticket.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, equity. You mentioned that a few times already. Uh, how does Doctor B ensure that those who are most at risk get shots first? And you, you said you you kind of track with local government priority criteria, but how does your algorithm
1: kind of make that happen? Sure. Well, other than strictly following what the local governments have stated, uh, we are also uh, making sure that people who live in the neighborhoods where they are vaccinated are are the ones who are most likely to get the notices and so we don't publish where our vaccine sites are so it makes it very difficult for people to game the system to say oh i live in area xyz because they just want to get vaccinated ahead of time the third way in which uh, equity is facilitated is is just quite frankly how we got started Uh, as i mentioned at the the top of the the podcast we launched the patient-facing side of dr b in uh the end of january and we didn't start talking about it publicly until the end i'm sorry beginning of march so there was a five or six week period where we uh, made sure that we went to the communities that have had the highest number of cases the highest number of deaths and we made sure that they uh, were, were talking about dr b and spreading the word in a grassroots way So we actually launched Dr. B in a Zoom call with 86 community leaders, and we made sure that there was a lot of representation from the BIPOC communities so that the initial viral snowball, if you would, would begin uh, with a heavy representation from the communities that needed it most. And the reason why that's relevant, Mark, is that if you and I were the same age, same zip code, same job, same health conditions, and you sign up before me, the way that Dr. B works is you'll get, just like any other standby list, you'll get notified before me. So it was very important that the people that were in most need of the vaccine be in the first wave of people who sign up, not just the people who are the most technical savvy.
0: Right, because that's what we were seeing earlier. You know, coronavirus shots are becoming less scarce now as supplies ramped up. Uh, but as recently as, as you know, a few weeks ago, it was very hard to book a shot, and we all know why. You know, too many websites to check slots going not to the most at risk, but to the most tech savvy. Just wondering, who who do you see as your next cohort? You know, as As more people get vaccinated, like who who's the unvaccinated cohort that you foresee benefiting from your platform the most going forward?
1: You know, the the tech founder in me almost feels ridiculous saying this, but though our organization is only three months old, we're setting our sights to going global and really taking this technology and using it everywhere. We built it, and so that it could be used everywhere and. uh, from the get-go, it was already translated into Spanish, uh, but we need to translate it into more languages. We need to make it available in more places. And so that's sort of the next big wave uh, for us is that, you know, our country is very fortunate. Um, We're in a very small select set of countries that are as far along in the vaccination process globally, but the majority of the world's not there. And I think that's, uh, that's its own form of inequity that I think we need to as, as humans think about and, and help solve.
0: Just to circle back on, you know, for a second on who's getting the shot and the equity point, do you have, um, you know, obviously de-identified data, but can you show that, you know, kind of demographically, your shots are going into, you know, this demographic or, the, you know, this community, this population, you know, are you kind of hitting that objective that you had for
1: yourself to make sure
0: that it's truly really matched to that local priority criteria? Uh,
1: yes, we are. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of it is, Mostly conjecture from from my own observations of being at various sites at the very beginning as we were uh, piloting this and and the initial sets of folks that came in. Were uh, the first in New York City, for example, the first three people that were vaccinated, uh, the first two were were healthcare workers uh, that, that were literally left behind. They were not part of large health systems. And then the third woman was over 65 and she didn't speak English. She couldn't figure out the technology that was available to her. And Doctor B was available in Spanish. She came and got vaccinated. Okay. Okay. A couple more questions, Cyrus, and I'll let you go. Um, The U.S. seems to be on a good
0: vaccination trajectory right now. 3.1 million vaccinations per day per the Bloomberg tracker, and at this rate, half of American adults will likely have gotten a shot by the end of this coming week, according to the Brown School of Public Health. Although, you know, before, as we said a couple weeks ago, was was harder to get an appointment. Now, most sites. Are administering second doses and giving out fewer shots overall. As the pace of vaccinations in the U.S. may slow down, how is that affecting your role here you know, in, in the States?
1: I think that the first 50% we've done through sort of centralized efforts, the next 50% need to be done in a more distributed effort. And I think that the more distributed it is, the more that pushing vaccine availability to people as opposed to pulling, requiring them to get an appointment is probably gonna be part of the solution. So we very much are helping the various vaccine sites that previously have not been doing mobile back vaccine uh, vaccine efforts get ready to start doing mobile vaccine efforts because that's how we're gonna complete this journey.
0: Okay, um, any advice for life science companies in, in making the vaccine appointment booking process easier um, the next time around?
1: You know, I uh, it may be a more uh, perhaps a more controversial point, but I I believe that a queuing based model will always be more efficient and more equitable. And uh, you know, I think at the end of this, we can look at the data to see um, how quickly and how equitably the various channels worked. But my my view is uh, that it, that that a queuing based model in health in forget it, the vaccine, just healthcare in general is more efficient. And I am open to any vaccine provider or life sciences company that wants to have conversations about how to improve what has currently, public health officials, et cetera, that has, that has been done. We're open to to problem solving with them and, and taking all of our learnings and, and just making, making it sure that we are doing everything we can to end, this pandemic as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah. Well, let's do this again as we continue to get the pandemic under control through increased vaccinations and hopefully put this uh, in the rearview mirror. Absolutely. Thanks so much for taking the time, Cyrus. Really appreciate it.
1: Appreciate your time. Thank you for, for interest in our
0: story. Well, I'm going to leave it there. That was that was Cyrus Misumi, founder of Dr. B. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, uh, please give it a like. To those who have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio programming and help others discover the show. This has been Mark Iskowitz. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time on the MMM Podcast. Take care, everybody.